and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl, ABC News Chief White House Correspondent. And I'm Rick Klein, ABC News Political Director. And we've got big news. We've got big, big news here on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. We are coming to you with just, what is it, 13, 12 days? How many? It's like there are not many days I left to go, track. right? I lost track. Who cares? Uh, but the big news here, Rick, is that the Powerhouse Politics Podcast, beginning on Monday, is going to become a daily podcast right through Election Day. So every single day between Monday and November 8th, we are going to be bringing you the latest and the greatest information on this extraordinary election that is finally hitting the final stretch. Yeah, it's great, John, because every day feels like a week in this campaign. How many news cycles you go through in in any given day. And to see the polls jumping up and down right now, uh, and we're going to check in with our friends over at 538.com later in the show to talk about it, but it is all over the place. It's hard to to, to really find an equilibrium in this race when you have maybe a three-point lead for Hillary Clinton, maybe a 14-point lead for Hillary Clinton, uh, without even big dynamics changing in this race. It just seems like it's all over the place. Let's talk about what we have coming up on this incredible show today. As you mentioned, we'll talk to our folks at 538. I want to ask them about the the, the incredible swings we have seen in, in the various tracking polls out there in terms of the national horse race numbers, but also drill down into the states. We're seeing some contrary, uh, contradictory information in the states. And also uh, what we can glean from looking at the early vote, uh, some of the key battleground states like Nevada, North Carolina, um, Ohio, Florida are very big in terms of early vote. Are we able to glean anything about the direction of those states based on who is voting? We obviously don't know how they have voted, but we can learn something about who is voting. And then uh, we're going to do a brief kind of look ahead at the end of the show. We have uh, none other than Kurt Schilling coming on his debut appearance on the Powerhouse Politics podcast. That's that's right, a World Series hero, a Red Sox legend, who has uh, said that he has made up his mind about running for Senate in two years, as long as he talks to his wife, a big Donald Trump supporter as well. So that'll be an interesting perspective. Now, John, I'm curious your take. Now, George Stephanopoulos did a big interview with Donald Trump and and his family uh, earlier in the week, uh, all pegged to and tied to the opening of the the, the new Trump Hotel right on Pennsylvania Avenue. And, and the fact that he took a morning and, and actually took a couple days away from the trail to look at his business enterprise, a non-traditional candidate, to say the least. What do you what do you make of, of how that's working out for him? He, he says it's all tied up in his campaign, but that seems pretty far afield from campaign activities. Yeah, it, it does. But I have to say, I, I'm going to I'm going to take a somewhat of a contrary position here. I, I, I don't think that it was necessarily a bad thing for him to do uh, for, for a couple of reasons, Rick. First of all, uh, by any objective measure, he is actually spending more time in the battleground states than Hillary Clinton. So, uh, But she's it, going to Adele concert, so. Yes, 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 as he pointed out. Uh, so, he, you know, it's not like he isn't hitting those uh, battleground states. He's actually, he's, he's ramped up his schedule. I think both of them, if, if you really look at it, I mean, to be fair in this, uh, both of them have been pretty lax in terms of, of uh, compared to previous uh, cycles, previous campaigns. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I covered uh, the 96 campaign, 2000, you know, uh, uh, 2004, 2012. These campaigns, uh, candidates were doing, um, you know, multiple events, multiple uh, states every day. They stayed out uh, on 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 the trail for for weeks at a time. 
Uh, both of these candidates managed, for the most part, to get home at night, which is pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Uh, do a couple of events. Trump does more than Hillary, no question about it. But even Trump's schedule uh, is is pretty lax compared to what we saw, you know, say with Mitt Romney in twelve or. Uh, or, or Obama or McCain in, in, in 2008. But in terms of this event, so he comes to Washington, D.C. He does a ribbon cutting at the Trump International Hotel at 1100 Pennsylvania Avenue. You know, I mean, this is, this is, what, this is part of his appeal. Part of his appeal is he's, he's, uh, his business success, as he would define it. And, uh, you know, here he's got a, a world-class uh, hotel. He, he won a contract that... Every major hotel chain in, 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 in the in the you know in the in the country wanted to have the uh, wanted to have this contract. He won it. Uh, he's delivered it. At least he claims under budget and uh, ahead of schedule. You know, so take a little Brag time and, yeah. and and tight. You know, and and, and and then get out to to North Carolina. You but, know, which is what he did. But so. let me let, let me let's 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 argue the other side of it for a second, John, because this came a day after he showed up at at, at his uh, at his uh, club in Doral, Florida, and had a series of employees give testimonials to him right in front of him as if they're going to say anything bad. It also comes in the week that they debuted what a lot of people think is going to end up being Trump TV, their own media channel, their channel that right at six thirty. Uh, right when the evening news is on, uh, with the lower third and the crawl and everything, it looks like cable. It, this seemed like this is the Trump brand of November 9th, not the one about getting him and other Republicans elected on November 8th. When you talk about him hyping his hotel and his property in, in this TV station, how is that actually getting him voters that might be on the fence about him or undecided in this election? Well, I think you're raising two different questions here. Uh one is how does this help him? Okay, and, and and I would argue it helps him if it does at all, and I think you could make the case marginally by underscoring what is one of his central arguments, which is I am successful in business. I want to do for the country what I have done for my company. So I, you know, I think that's it's part of his message. It's been part of his appeal from from the from the start. The other question, though, is there is the oddity of seeing a presidential campaign seem to kind of hawk his own goods. And we yeah. saw this uh, during, uh, you know, that, that uh, one of the election nights during the primary when he brought out Trump steaks, you know, Trump wine, and he was, you know, touting all the, all the wonderful products. There is something, you know, there is something odd and look a little hucksterish uh, when you seem to be using your campaign to highlight and promote your business properties. So I think there's two different questions there. But, you know, I, I mean, look, he's he's a business guy. He's Trump. He's tr- the Trump organization. That's, you know, one reason why people supported him. So do you think that, first of all, let's start on Hillary. Do you think that she is overconfident right now? She does the Adele thing. She spent the week, I feel like she had about 12 birthday celebrations and cake everywhere. And uh, it, 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 she's doing very few events. Uh, she has not picked up the pace significantly. They're still at about one a day. Is she coasting? Are they on autopilot, uh, regardless of what they say about how, cl- how close this is? Are they in danger of, of seeing Trump catch them while they kind of nap? Well, we've talked about this, it seems to me, almost from the very beginning of this presidential cycle. Hillary Clinton is often at her worst when things are going best. She is not good at running out the clock. She is not good at playing prevent defense. 
you know, th- th- she's getting. I think they're, they're getting dangerously close to uh, to appearing to be gloating, even as you know, campaign manager Robbie Mook has been putting forth the message that Trump can still win this thing. We need to be vigilant. The biggest fear we have is that people will be too overconfident. I uh, think they don't need to come out and vote because the election's over. Um, but she is projecting precisely that overconfidence, at least it seems to me, dangerously so. I think that's I think that's right. And uh, they even talked about the where they're going to have election night celebration, the Javits Convention Center in Manhattan. We, oh, happens to have a glass ceiling. Now, imagine, By the way, are they going to shatter that glass, glass ceiling? That's well, an expensive if, property. What if she loses? I mean, you remember that animation they did at the convention? I think they can probably do better than that like Marvel Comics version of, yeah. <laughs> look, pow, shabam. All right, so on the other side is, do you think Trump right now realizes that he's losing? Because when he's out there talking about it, he's saying, you know, we're winning this thing. We've got all the momentum. And I got to say, you know, when we'll talk to 538, um, uh, Micah Cohen in a few minutes about this, but there's no there's nothing that shows he's winning. There is he's not up in in the national polls. He's not even in the within the margin of error in enough state polls that that map is daunting. It's not to say he cannot win, but to say right now that he's winning. I, I think his team needs him to understand that he is fighting from behind right now. Can we talk about WikiLeaks? Oh, can we? Can we? Oh, John, John. So to, to me, this was the week that WikiLeaks went to, to, to another level of, of story because it's been really gossipy for a while. And uh, it's kind of entertaining for us to read, to see these aides calling each other names and getting snippy with each other, just like we all do on email in our own workplaces. And but, in comes the Doug Band memo. Oh, Cl- Bill Clinton, Inc., John. Bill Clinton, Inc., they're in black and white to talk about the way that, that Doug Band and, and others working for Clinton were were helping him secure speaking gigs, uh, private amenities, transportation. That is some really big stuff. Yeah, it, it's it's really – and talking about the merging of the foundation with the for-profit um, you know, efforts and the $30 million, $50 million. These are huge – sums of money one that's still and one, one that is in this memo and, and doug band is going through and he's it's almost like it's a 12 page memo i believe and, right. it, and and it goes through how much money he has helped personally raise for the foundation and he brags about the fact he didn't charge for raising that money um and then how much money he has helped bill clinton bring in in this for-profit ventures his speeches his consultant you know his his his, his uh his his you know, corporate consulting work. But the one that still sticks out to me is his work for the for-profit university, uh, $3.5 million a year. Um, Still, still, you know, I mean, and and that story was out there before, but it just, it just kind of, it kind of just sits out there and you're thinking, you know, what, what exactly did he do for that? Right. And, and to me, it, it, it underscores, uh, it highlights all of the concerns that Clinton critics have had about this, even friends of Clinton that, that have said, look, there's something fishy about this whole arrangement and the way that you can mix the private and the public. And the Clintons have, have maintained this attitude about the foundation work that because they're saving lives and doing tremendous work, then all the other things are details, all the other concerns are details. But the extent to which the, the, the very important and, and admirable work of the foundation was tied up into the private wealth accumulation of the Clintons themselves, particularly Bill Clinton, but, but, but Hillary and Chelsea very much involved in this as well, is stunning to see laid out. Because well, and you we, also see how, how Chelsea Clinton is so concerned about what she sees as, you know, 
as 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 exploiting all of this stuff yeah. you know you see i mean she seems she actually comes out uh, you know quite good at all yeah. of this well a message to um, doug band don't take on the boss's daughter you're, you're gonna lose yeah. you're gonna lose that fight any yeah. any time but I, I i just think this this is actually a meaty substantive thing there's been so many other false things and and half truths that are in these in the WikiLeaks hacked emails from john Patest, and we should always note there's no Independent authentication of these emails, although nothing has been disputed in a formal or informal way by the Russian camp. Stolen, hacked emails, and, the, and, and apparently by know. the Russians. In, if to, to believe anyone except Donald Trump on this, all of those motivations aside, just what's in there, just the substance of it, from the from the actual text of those paid speeches to the deliberations about how to handle her email server, the the, the information about those speeches, and then this around the Clinton Foundation. It it, it was really really striking to me, John. And and you see how uh, the Clinton campaign folks. Uh, try to deal with uh, the revelation of of the fact that she had the the uh, the, the private email server. Uh, they they seem to have been caught by surprise the extent of it all. Um, I mean, it's there's a lot that's striking. So you have that, and then you have what we've also talked about on the Obamacare side, with uh, you know those who are getting their insurance on the on the exchanges and the marketplaces. You see this 25 percent average uh, increase nationwide. Some of the biggest increases. In just happen to be in battleground states, right. uh, you know, in Arizona, the increase is over a hundred percent. Big increases in Florida and Nevada um, would add up to, uh, to to a pretty perilous closing uh, week and a half for for Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, except, uh, you know, as you've pointed out, as you, <laughs> we all got into this when you, when you, you pointed out that he's got a very perilous path yeah. to 270 electoral votes. Well, and you're talking numbers and percentages. That feels like a cue to me, John. Is yeah. That- is it, is it possible that we could get, if only we had somebody on the line, like a, like a guy like a Micah Cohen or, you know, one of those guys at 538 who could really try to navigate us uh, through where, where this race actually stands. Is it possible? To, Robin, can we get him on the line? Wait, Whoa, excuse me? What, what was that? There he is. This is pure. I actually came on, you know, it was my birthday yesterday. I wanted to talk hey, about Hey, happy that. birthday, man. Oh. How old are you? I am 35 years old. Oh, my God. Do you, put a, like, age. A, do you put a percentage around that? Like, is that a 95% certainty? I mean, what, what do we, can, we, can we quantify that somehow? Are you a Generation uh, Xer or a millennial, by the way? What, what, what are you? Oh, that's a good question. I... I, temperamentally, I think I'm a generational. I'm in Generation X. I think technically, I'm a, I'm in the millennial generation. Wow, on the cusp. I love it. We just wanted you to straighten one thing out for us, um, and and then we can get on to some other other subjects. Uh, I, I noticed some new polls that came out over the last 24 hours. We had a Fox News uh, poll which uh, put the election at uh, what, what were the numbers on that one again, Micah? So Fox had the race. Let me bring it up here. Clinton plus three. Okay, Clinton um, plus three, and then and then we saw AP, uh, the Associated Press. I think it was Clinton oh. plus fourteen. So so my my question to you is: Is the race uh, where Fox News poll puts it at at uh, plus three for Hillary Clinton, or is it plus fourteen for Hillary Clinton, like the Associated Press? These these polls came out on the same day, just a few hours apart. Both considered, you know, uh, serious, real polls. Good pollsters, reputable pollsters. You know, the answer, I'm sure, is what you expect, which is the race is probably somewhere in between. Um, oh, right that's now, not very we, satisfying, Mike. I wanted I you know, to tell me one of them. I mean, you know. 
Right now we have Clinton up about six, but that's, you know, the fact that there's such a large disagreement is important, actually. Um, How do you explain it? Why is that? So one explanation is just polling is hard, and every pollster makes a lot of choices in the process of constructing a poll. How much do you weight certain groups? How do you do your likely voter sample? What do you expect the electorate to look like? And in that process, you know, depending on the choices you make, you can get different results. The New York Times did this great exercise where they gave the raw polling data they conducted to to four different pollsters, and each pollster weighted it differently and came up with a different result. And so that explains part of it. Um, But... The other kind of factor here is with response rates to polls dropping, pollsters do have to rely on these kind of statistical tricks like waiting to get representative samples. They have to rely on those more and more. And so it is a little worrying to see such a wide spread. So that said, people sometimes underestimate the the amount of of the, the possible spread that you should get. Um, just based on random sampling. So that's another kind of part of this. But still, that's a the Fox News AP poll, that's a really big spread. Micah, the, how does this factor into your, your, uh, your, your now cast and your, your forecast for where things stand in this race? You've got a north of 80% likelihood of, of Hillary Clinton winning. That, uh, there's been almost no public polling and, and no consistent public polling that has Trump winning. But does that kind of range of possible outcomes that spread that we talk about could be three it could be 14 does that does that diminish the odds the 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 certainty uh, on the prediction of who's going to win the election yeah yeah roughly speaking it does so we know historically that the more consensus there is among different polls the more reliable the result right um but if you have a ton of disagreement among pollsters there's kind of a bigger chance that you'll get a systemic error. In other words, not just normal, there's a difference between measuring a sample and the actual vote, but something seriously fundamentally wrong with the polls. That's not to say it's likely that will happen, but if you start to see these big gaps in the polls, it kind of, you know, we, we sort of, it, height, it, it quickens our heartbeat a little bit and we, and we worry about a big error. So let's let's talk through what what what, what is your percentage right now? Uh, just so we do we get it right now. It's being updated all the time. It's, uh, let's do polls yeah. plus. That, Pulse, that, that, yeah, that's your main one, right? Polls plus, which includes demographics and, and other. What what where do we stand right now? So Clinton is an eighty-two percent favorite in polls plus, and is an eighty-four percent favorite in polls only. So they're really close, and okay, they, and they'll remain close. John and I are, are really bad at math, but we're really, really good at baseball, and we really understand baseball analogies. So so break this down for us. How would you equate this to, because we're in the middle of the World Series right now, uh, the baseball odds? Uh, how much is Donald Trump trailing going into the ninth, or what kind of series deficit does he, is it 3 nothing that he has to overcome, or 2 nothing that he has to overcome? Is it like a 5-1 to one lead, or a 10-1 to one lead as we enter the ninth? Do you have any sense of where this where this ranks in sports? So I'm a little I'm a little worried about saying this out loud, but uh, okay. Go ahead. I we, hate we... baseball, so I oh man, forget it. Question. We're done. Oh, <laughs> choose another sport. Another choose choose another sport. Then go for it. So one one analogy that we're fond of is the Russian roulette analogy, which is 
if you hey, play why not? The Russians Russian... are part of the conversation <laughs> here. Go ahead. Exactly. It's topical. But if you play a round of Russian roulette, you have about a 15, 17% chance of pulling the trigger and a bullet coming out, right? Donald Trump is a 16% chance in polls only right now, uh, 18% in polls plus. So that's about the same odds as, as hitting the bullet in a round of Russian roulette. And so, I think so you're saying this people, campaign is like playing Russian roulette. There's a... Well, you know, it's not the worst metaphor in the world for this campaign, which, which is sad, <laughs> but, but, but true. But look, but, but it, it does illustrate that kind of seven, you know, 16%, 18%, that's not nothing. That's a real chance. And right. it's actually one way in which our forecast right now is a bit more bullish on Donald Trump than most other forecasts on out there. Um, you know, we still have Clinton as the odds-on favorite, but but 16%, 18%, that's not nothing. And and remind us what Bernie Sanders' odds of winning the Michigan primary were. The Bernie's odds were like 1%. And, um, and what happened maybe to Maybe even and less than 1%. And, and, and Bernie won the Michigan primary. And that's actually a great example of you know, events that have a 1% probability should happen 1% of the time, right? right? And if you do the math on the primaries, well, we, you, you would expect that a 1% favorite or a 1% underdog would win, you know, once every two election cycles or something well, like that. Well, there's 100 states that vote between the Dem and the Republican side, exactly. right? So yeah. that's, not, that's exactly. actually not ridiculous. To... No, so you would expect a kind of Michigan-level upset, Um you know, somebody, um, somebody, Drew Linder, of, uh, who does the modeling at Daily Coast, he, he put it this way, which is you would expect someone with Trump's odds of winning to win the presidential election once every 28 years or so. That's not a long, that long a time, right? So it's just not it's, – it's on the table still. Trump win is on the table. It's not likely, but it's on the table. What about the state polls? Because I, when I go through – again, I'm, I'm not good at math, but I can color code you know, and change in those in the electoral cal- uh, calculators just like ours at abcnews.com. When I go through, I, I can't see how he wins, how Trump wins without Pennsylvania, uh, without New Hampshire, uh, because Virginia is gone. And uh, even if he wins Ohio I, and Florida – I can get him there without Pennsylvania. Okay. No, not – and, yeah, and Virginia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without Pennsylvania, here's how we do it. Uh, uh, he, he, first of all, obviously hangs on to Arizona and Utah, wins Nevada, wins Florida, wins North Carolina, wins Ohio, Iowa, New Hampshire, and, and Maine, too. And that's 270. Co- I think Colorado would probably have to be in the mix, too. No, no. no. Tell me, Mike. What I just did gets you to 270, doesn't it? I think it just gets him there, Yeah. yeah. But what's but, your sense? What's your sense of the state polling? And, and where I mean, that's stands? that's perilous. That's, though, yeah, because, that's because, the narrow because, path, as you can imagine. Because you have to win. He, he's down in virtually all the polls in Nevada. He's down in most of the polls in Florida. He's down in uh, you know most of the North Carolina polls. He has to win all of those, and he's way down in New Hampshire. So he has to you know he has to win in a bunch of places where he's down within the margin of error, and one place where he's down outside the margin of error. Yeah, he his path right now is really thin and really unlikely. Um, that said, I would not look at it like, wow, Trump would have to win Florida where he's down, North Carolina where he's down, Iowa where he's down, Nevada where he's down. What I would say is Trump needs the race to tighten to win. Because if he, you know, let's say 
he we wake up on November 9th and we find that Trump beat his polls in Florida. Well, he probably also beat his polls in North Carolina, right. too. The states won't move independently. So Clinton is up uh, six right now. That's right on the cusp of where we've seen uh, historical polls be off. So in other words, I'm not sure we've seen a six-point error in the polls, but we've seen like a three-point error, a four-point error. So if Trump can narrow this race, Trump needs more than one thing to go right for him. He needs the race to narrow. Maybe, you know, he has a couple, he has a good last couple weeks. He stays disciplined. Maybe a couple Clinton controversies dominate the news cycle. He needs that to happen. And he needs for the polls to be off in his favor, right? The polls could be off in Clinton's favor. We don't, we don't know right now, but he, he basically needs both those things to happen to win, which makes it really unlikely. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat all the states as, as independently, as independent. If, if, he, if he does well in Ohio, he'll also do well in Pennsylvania and Iowa. We would expect the states, for the most part, to move together. So what, what are you seeing? So I'm seeing a lot of, frankly, lame spin um, coming out because uh, the, the numbers are easy to kind of manipulate uh, with the early vote. Which obviously, as a reminder, with the early vote, we obviously don't know who people are voting for. But in states that have partisan registration, we know how many Democrats are voting or requesting ballots. We know how many Republicans. We can t- we can tell we can tell something of the demographics and what parts of the states these votes are coming from. So, as you at five thirty eight are looking at and tracking the early vote, are you able to to, to glean anything about who's who's up? Not much. You know, the early vote data is really dangerous to look to to try to figure out where states will eventually end up. I mean, if you did this and we just wrote about this. So if you did this in 2012, you know, Democrats had big early vote leads in North Carolina, in Louisiana, in West Virginia. Um, They were trailing only by about five points in Oklahoma. Obviously, those states didn't end up in the Democratic column, and there are a few reasons for that. One is, as you mentioned, we don't know who they're voting for. We only know party registration, and only in some states. And in a lot of states, party registration doesn't correspond that well with how people vote, right? In West Virginia, for instance, there's this A lot of Democrats vote Republican. That's exactly right. It's just a traditionally Democratic state in, in terms of party registration, but it votes Republican. That said, you know, I do think you can look to the early vote for clues about who, which campaign has the better ground game, right? Um, And I think, you know, there's conflicting data so far, but but I think it's probably the case that, that the early vote suggests Clinton is doing a better job of turning out her voters than Trump is. And that's, that make sense? is that across the board? That that's where specifically are you, are you seeing that? Are you, I mean, I, I know we're seeing that in it appears to be in Nevada. Perhaps yeah, in Nevada, Florida. North North Carolina, Florida. I mean, but that's the other kind of tricky thing about this, right? Is every state has such different early vote voting rules, right? And and releases different data about that early vote that it's really hard to make cross state comparisons. But yeah, Nevada. Uh, North Carolina, Florida, you know, but I, I just wouldn't read too much into it. If if you're really interested in who's going to win 
the election, I'd suggest you look at the polls, not the not the early vote. I, I think we are interested in that, John. Are we interested yeah, in that? Yeah, yeah, no, not we're, we're, we're kind of interested. Okay, so before you go, I, and, 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 I, and I, I thank you for uh, for taking some time away from your uh, – what do you guys do over there? You just kind of like, – <laughs> Math. Yeah, a lot of math all day long. So I, 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 I appreciate that. I know, I, know it's, I know it's a busy time. Can you, can you give us your quick uh, state of play on the, uh, on the battle for the House and Senate? Yeah, so Senate right now, Democrats remain favorites to take the Senate. In our Polls Plus forecast, they have a 67% chance of winning the Senate. Polls only, 67-2, same, same number. You know, it's basically coming down to six states, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Indiana, North Carolina, New Hampshire, and I'm missing one state, Nevada, Nevada. right? Nevada. Um, Nevada, sorry. Um, And all those states are super close, like within about two percentage points. Um, That said, you know, one interesting thing we've been looking at recently is Florida, which is Marco Rubio is up by about five or six there. And that's really the main reason Republicans still have a fighting chance of of holding the Senate, because Rubio has, has sort of taken Florida for the most part out of play. The, you know, Democrats, the National Party has, have taken money out of that state. Um, and, and Rubio has really given the GOP kind of a fighting chance of, of holding the Senate, but Democrats are favored. We're not. We don't have a forecast for the House. I still think, though, that the House isn't really in play, that you, Clinton would have to win by 9, 10, 11 plus percentage points to even for it to even be a question. I think Democrats will gain seats, you know, let's say 10 to 20 seats, but that doesn't really get them that close to a majority. Oh, so um, let me just ask you one thing on that then. The what, what is a what's a better chance of happening knowing that you guys don't have a formal forecast? Donald Trump winning the White House or Democrats winning the house oh that's a really good question so we don't have a, a, a house forecast so i can't actually answer that with any um i'm looking for the mica forecast uh, not the 538 which has a better chance of happening democrats taking the house or trump winning i i would guess uh there's a better chance that democrats win the house wow okay. right there and i bet i you know i put i bet you democrats have about a 20 percent chance of taking the house um, so I think there are probably slightly better odds to do that than Trump is to win the presidency. All right. Mike Cohen, 538. Thank you for joining us on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. We'll uh, probably check My, in with you again if we, we can get you back on here at some point. Before you can November hold 8. these words, ag- words against me once I'm proven wrong. We will, we will hold everything that you said <laughs> against you that was wrong, and, and we'll probably forget where you were right. But, um, but that's just the way it works here at Powerhouse Politics. We okay. appreciate I'll your time. Ac- I'll man. accept that as long as I get to talk to you guys. <laughs> right. Thanks, All right. Michael. Hang in there. Thanks, guys. All right. So, we're we're going to pause here for just a second. And when we come back, John, Kurt Schilling. Hey, it's Rick here. Just want to quickly remind you, you can find a bunch of other ABC News podcasts at abcnewspodcast.com. We just launched Robin Roberts' new show, Everybody's Got Something. You'll want to check that out along with our other shows. So head on over there. Subscribe to the ones you like. Now, back to the show. joined right now by a genuine sports legend who has entered the world of politics, Mr. Kurt Schilling. Are you there, sir? I'm here. What's up, guys? 
Hey, thanks for joining us. You, 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 you really, I got to tell you, you caught our attention uh, uh, the other day <laughs> of uh, suggesting that you, you might actually uh, run for Senate. As a matter of fact, I think you said you, you would like to run for Senate. You'd like to take on Elizabeth Warren. Have you had a chance to talk to your wife about it? Is it going to happen? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's not just my wife. It's a family decision. I think uh, I've come to realize more so than ever during this election cycle that conservative families are, are fodder. Uh, they're game for the media. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, it's something that would have to be um, discussed and agreed to internally uh, because of what they'd be getting exposed to. Okay, so we like numbers here on Powerhouse Politics. Can you give us, a, give us the kind of the odds? What's the percentage chance you actually do this? Uh, uh, fifty more like fifty right now. Fifty fifty. Yeah, fifty fifty. I mean, I, it, it's it's that's as as uh, fraudulently easy as I can get out of that conversation right now. I, <laughs> I don't. I, honestly, I just I just there's so many variables. I'm, let's put it this way: I'm talking to all the people I would need to be talking to to get a campaign started, underway, and moving. Were that to be the decision. So you you've been outspoken, vocal in your in your support for Donald Trump for for president. I, I'm curious if that's played a role at all in this decision to jump in. Is there anything in this campaign that's inspired you to get involved? Yeah, the corruptness of the left, um, the 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 fact that this country is no longer the country I recognized growing up in. Um, it's become kind of. Uh, carte blanche or it's become in vogue to hate america to 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 have pride in the country you you're, people are being made to be embarrassed by that and and uh you know defecating on the flag is is cool and funny uh burning the flag is i i, I don't get it i don't i get it to a sense to some sense but to the extremes that we've gone now i i don't and and now the media has become i think well not even not even um trying to hide the fact that they are, are, are intent and dead set on Hillary Clinton being the president. And the media was kind of... Hey, now, wait a minute. We're in the media here, and we do yeah. not take well, that Well, you position. know what? If you're, just, if, just let's put it this way. If the shoe doesn't fit, then, then fine. Move on. Um, but you know who I'm talking about. And if you're one of those people, you know who you're being talked about. But at the end of the day, the, it, it, when we're seeing through the WikiLeaks day in and day yesterday, I think there was 21 of our premier news, news organizations that were in correspondence with the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign, whether it be coordinating uh, appearances, coordinating questions and answers, or giving the Clinton uh, team the ability to proofread or edit articles that they potentially were going to publish on them. That's not what the media was created for, at least when I grew up. So what, what does Trump have to do with all of this? What, is, is there anything that he has done that said to you, wow, this is, this is, this is a time to get involved? Well, so I, I've known Mr. Trump for about 11 years. And, and I, the two things that I can say about him that I can unequivocally say she doesn't have, I know he loves his country. And I know that's not enough. Everybody, a lot of people love this country. <clears throat> Excuse me. But at the end of the day, my president needs to protect and provide for the citizens of this country. Protect those uh, of us that are American citizens and provide for those that can't provide for themselves. And this guy has done nothing in his life but create business, buy business, create jobs. Um, you can argue and be, be uh, upset about the character, the comments, and that's, that's absolutely valid criticism, uh, as it would be for anybody who had... You know, listen, if we were going to hold our presidential candidates to every single thing they've said their entire lives in public and in private, no one would ever be able to run. And, and you know, so I don't, I don't condone it. I, don't, I mean, listen, sexual assault and all the things that people talk, none of those things are okay. But we're talking about something a guy said as opposed to what she's done. 
for 26 years. Her, her husband, who might be the most despicable sexual predator ever in, in public office, is right alongside her, and she helped him to ruin the lives of women accusing him of sexual assault. Okay, so uh, if you take this step and you end up running for Senate, you'll obviously be going up against uh, one of the one of the fastest rising stars on the on the left, Elizabeth Warren. I, I'd like to see if we can get a little bit of a preview of what this might might look like. Uh, we we saw Elizabeth Warren side by side with Hillary Clinton up in New Hampshire, and I want to play a little bit of what Elizabeth Warren had to say and get you to respond. Here it is. Get this, Donald. Nasty women are tough. Nasty women are smart. And nasty women vote. And on November 8th, we nasty women are going to march our nasty feet to cast our nasty votes to get you out of our lives forever. All right, so what do you think? Some people are saying she's one of Hillary's uh, most effective surrogates out there. Well, first of all, the shrillness of that voice, get, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, uh, just listening to her raise her voice. But, but let's be very clear about something. There's nothing nasty about Elizabeth Warren. And she has done absolutely, unequivocally, without a doubt, nothing since she's been in office. Yes, I get that she's a golden child. She, she created the Finance Oversight Committee, which has absolutely no teeth, I got to watch her chastise the CEO of Wells Fargo for a couple hours and talk like a badass and all tough. At the end of the day, she did nothing about it. He resigned with a nine-figure settlement. So she's done not, Well, I, I correct that. She did pass legislation in Massachusetts to have a chair uh, honoring uh, the vets of Massachusetts in the state house. So there is that. But she's done nothing, absolutely unequivocally nothing. She wants free college, which is absolutely and again, unequivocally, it's not possible. Not on a statewide scale and not on a national scale. To, to give the, the, the 191,000 public college students in Massachusetts free education would be north of $15 billion every four years. And let me be clear, that's $15 billion in taxes we don't currently pay. And to take that to a national level, there's t- close to 20 million public college students. You're looking at just over $1.5 trillion every four years that we don't currently pay in taxes. Where's that money coming from? It's coming from the middle class. The same middle class that is going to be absolutely devastated financially by the, the health care increases that the people that are on subsidy from the government, they don't pay anything for health care. Those people get health care for free. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the, 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 all those rates you, took, you guys are hearing about, a 22% average across the board, 116%, I think, is the number in Arizona. You know who's paying that, right? Who? The 1% who doesn't really care that their premiums might go up $6,000 this year. But the bottom 90% that are being subsidized, the middle class is paying for their increase and the rest of the increases for everybody else. So what do you replace it with? There's been talk about that, the repeal and replace. If you're in the right. Senate, what what, well, I think, I, I, it, what listen, happens? I think replace is the wrong word. I think you have to transition. You have to transition away from... Here, to be very clear about something, they're going to... this. The path here is... I mean, everybody that looked into this when it happened was saying the same things, and I was on that boat. Like, this can't succeed. And what you ended up having was, and if you listen to anybody that's talking about especially today, they were talking about the fact that they could go back and do it over again. The only thing they would change was they would make the penalty stiffer 
for the people that don't comply, for the young kids or the young people who didn't buy the insurance because it was too expensive, they ended up paying and joining the program once they got sick. That devastated the program because they were counting on all that money to help cover the seniors in the program. Well, that didn't happen. So who's paying for it now? The middle class is paying for it. But, but, but I don't think replace is the right word, uh, like you said. I think you have to transition off of this because we are headed to a, once the middle class gets milk dry, which won't be long, a single-payer government-run system. So wait, you transition? You, you don't want to transition to that. You're not saying to, no, to single-payer. No, 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 so, no. So what do you transition to? I mean, people, there's, there are 26-year-olds on their parents' health insurance right now. There are people with pre-existing conditions. They're able to get access. Do you, do you want to make sure that they still have that access? Or do you Absolutely. say... Listen, I, I think it's a fallacy that anybody on the, on the left argues about to anybody on the right. Once you come out against Obamacare, you don't want people to have health care. That's the perspective. That's not true. Nobody doesn't want anyone to have health care. But there's a responsible way to do this. Half of the people in Washington told us that they would find out what was in the bill once it was passed. Now, I don't know about you, but the people I elect, I elect them to lead, not to be idiots. And, and, and I get a feeling that there's an immense amount of idiocy in Washington. This is, this is what happens. We've cried during the primaries. We, you know, Bernie Sanders got the support he got because he was apparently an outsider, which he wasn't, but he was appearing to be one. Donald Trump beat 17 other candidates, and a lot of them you can make an argument for. I was a Carson guy. Carly Fiorina, I love Ben Carson. But Donald Trump won because people don't want a polished, fraudulent politician. Well, unfortunately, guys, this is what it looks like. This guy is not a polished politician. He is not a great public speaker. He's not funny. He doesn't have a very good sense of humor. But at the end of the day, he gets stuff done. And we're, we have a country and a, and, a, and a government full of people getting nothing done. And that's why I would tell you, as someone who's as fed up with the right as I am with the left, both sides are terrified at the prospect of a Donald Trump presidency for the reason we all understand, because the gravy train ends. Hey, what do you think and of Paul Ryan, by the way? Um, I think he, I, I, you know, I think he's committed political suicide um, in, in a lot of different ways. At the end of the day, he's spineless. Uh, we voted him in. We voted a lot of them in to do the things we wanted them to do, which was to push the conservative agenda. Listen, if if um, if the Democrats wanted to have this this, this health care system and 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 to raise, it, they had it before in two thousand seven. They had the, they had the majority. They could have done whatever they wanted. But now they get to say the Republicans don't want it because they know they can't pass it. But people like Paul Ryan are doing us no good. They're doing us no if, if you want people in government to, to progress or to move a conservative agenda, most of the Republicans in office now are not those people. What about Mitch McConnell? Would you, would you support him for majority leader if you're in the Senate no. in 2019? No, I, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of them need to go. I, I, I'm a firm believer in term limits. Uh, I think ter- lack of term limits is one of the reasons why we're where we are. These people don't have to continue to win their jobs. They're entrenched. They're running against a lot of these people. It's amazing to me. I didn't realize this, but when you look at the ballots a lot of times in, in elections, even local stuff, a lot of people run unopposed. So, and to so, me, that's the, that, you know, if you're running unopposed and the people in your district can't really and moan because nobody's stepping up to do something about it. So, so I just want to be sure we have you down. So you think, you think McConnell should be out as, as Republican leader in, in the Senate? Should Ryan be out as, uh, as Speaker in the House? I, I, would, I would tell you until I know who would be in their place. I don't. I can't. I can't answer any one of those definitively. You know, I'll, I'll, I think if I heard correctly the other day, if the Democratic major, if a Democratic majority were to happen, 
the head of the, the, the finance committee would be Bernie Sanders. And I can't think of a more uh, horrific uh, couple than saying those words together. So I don't know. I, you know, I would have to be very clear on who was going to replace McConnell, um, what kind of, who, who it was, um, and who would replace Paul. Uh, Ryan. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't. I feel both of them have been in, incredibly ineffective. And right now, this is a country that needs to, I think, slam on the brakes a little bit because uh, I think we're out of control. I think with Obamacare and with, you know, unfettered immigration, we're going down a, a, a path we will never be able to bounce back from. And, and I would say this if Donald Trump doesn't get elected, we will never, ever have a Republican president in our lifetime. So if he is elected and, and, and you're, you join him in the Senate, do, he's going to need allies. Would you consider yeah. yourself a, a foot soldier in the, in the Trump army? I, I am a constitutional loving American first. And I would I would say conservative second. Uh, I, I I think I, I want people. Uh, you know, it's almost like it's corny if you talk about the, being proud of the country in in a way that I want to. If I'm a senator, my job is to take the constituents of Massachusetts' concerns to Washington. They may not be mine, but I still have to fight for them as if they were. That's what the people vote you into office for. At least that's what my impression of a senator is. Sure. So, and I don't get I don't get that from Elizabeth Warren. I've never gotten that from her. So you know that that's not for me to tell you. That's for me. That's for for if I if I were to get elected as a senator, that's for me to take from the constituents of my state to Washington D.C. That's the senator's job. So uh, by the way, I just a, a, a quick look at the uh, finance committee uh, website. Uh, Ron Wyden is the ranking Democrat, so I assume he would become the the, the, the chairman unless. Uh, but, Unless Bernie well, Sanders uh, then, then again, Paul Ryan lied again because what I heard Paul Ryan say was, if the Democrats got majority, uh, the head of the finance, Senate Finance Committee would be Bernie Sanders. He'll definitely get a chairmanship. I, I don't know that it's clear which one yet. Which, yeah, yeah. Well, let's put it this way: it, it was effective because it scared me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so means anything. Um, so, so just but, but before you go, I, I want to just I want to pin you down just for a second on, on something you said. You said that if Trump doesn't win, we'll never see a Republican president in our lifetime. Why would you no. say that? Okay, think about this for a second. You're looking at a a, a very uh, pro amnesty, pro immigration left. I mean, to the point of we've never seen anything like it. I would tell you, in my opinion, there's probably closer to 25 million than 11 million illegals in this country since we've actually never gotten a, a legitimately fair count. If Hillary Clinton gets in and they are granted amnesty, that 20 million turns to 40 to 50 million overnight. And I say overnight literally, but, but maybe not overnight, but soon because all of the families of the illegal immigrants that are here are now free to come. And when you take that... And you add that to us being a welfare state, our health care system implodes. You cannot be a welfare state with open borders. At no time in this country's history have we ever been unfettered immigration. We have always tried to, uh, I guess, uh, control the tap as, as to the flow in and out. We don't stop people seeking asylum or, or seeking from, from uh, a, a society that's oppressed. But now we are... We're, Here's what I would ask you, and I would ask illegals and legal immigrants the same question. Why would you vote for a woman who wants to turn this country into the country you ran away from? Because that's where we're headed. And so my, my argument is, if you allow that many illegals in, they will vote Democrat. So the demographics change, you're saying. Yeah, they, 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 they usher in that, change. Yeah. 
So before we let you go, uh, the other big pressing issue of the moment, the World Series. You've got the <laughs> Cubs. You've got the Indians. You've got Theo Epstein on one side. You've got Terry Francona on, on the other. What does, what does a Red Sox legend do with all this information? Who's going who's gonna to take this thing? I'm not playing that one. Uh, I, I, this is the oh, first, come on. This is the first World Series in 20 years, 30, 40 years. I'm not rooting for one team over the other. I have Terry and Brad Mills are very dear friends. I love the Cleveland organization. Cleveland fans are as good as any fans in baseball. The Cubs, on the other end, you got Theo and David Ross and John Lester and, and Jed Hoyer and people I love. I've known Joe Madden since I was 16 years old. My, if, if I get my wish, it will be a seven-game series. Somebody will win in a walk-off. Because baseball is going to benefit from a great World Series with these two teams. Somebody's curse is getting broken, and both of these teams are good enough to be back here next year. And I'm hoping for all of those things in a great seven-game World Series. And we, we can't get you to take a stand? If I'm betting a billion dollars? Yeah. Cubs. Cubs, all right. But let, let me just say, for, as, a, as a Yankees fan all my life, I never thought I would say I agree with Kurt Schilling, but I agree with Kurt Schilling on his analysis of, of what I the World too, Series actually. needs to be. It's That's exactly World what Series. we need. It's what the country needs. I, I wholeheartedly endorse that sentiment. Well, I'll tell you the same thing I tell every Yankee fan I talk to. Everybody has their cross to bear. It sounds heartfelt. We put up with them anyway. It's, uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> Kurt Schilling, thank you for joining us. And uh, Yes, when, sir. Thanks, when, guys. When you, when you discuss this with your family, you're ready to make a decision, we'll come back on and we'll talk about your, your campaign if it's to happen, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Well, uh, well, Rick, he's he's every 100% uh, on the Trump train, it seems. That is that is something else. Oh, it sure, it sure feels like it. Wow, <laughs> that was – yeah, that, that is something. I, look, I, I think there's a sentiment here that he reflects, and you don't – it's probably less prevalent in Massachusetts. But the, the idea that, that Trump scares both parties, yes, true. And a lot of Trump supporters will tell you the same thing about Paul Ryan, about Mitch McConnell, about the whole Republican establishment. This is the guy that won over 16 other candidates at the start. And that just general dissatisfaction with where things are headed is uh, is a powerful force. And it's the it's kind of the unknown force, the unknown quantity in this election. If the Trump people have you believe it. it it's not being even reflected in the polls. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, I am – I this was – this was – the end of this is the end of the show here, but I got to tell you, I am looking forward to our daily show beginning on Monday because uh, I mean this race this race has been unlike any you or I have ever covered, and uh, and I think we're in for uh, we're in for a raucous, wild uh, final week, week and a half. It is going to be a lot to talk about every day. So yeah, we'll we'll kick that off on Monday. And uh, this has been this has been some ride so far. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, we could get a Red Sox uh, baseball legend too <laughs> to cap it off for us so far this <laughs> exactly. week. Exactly. So that will do it for this week's edition of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. Please take a moment and rate us, review the show on iTunes. It helps other people get a sense of what this show is all about. And, of course, you can find us both on Twitter. I'm at John Carl. Rick is over at at Rick Klein. And don't forget you can find all those other ABC News podcasts over at abcnewspodcast.com. And, Rick, you know all the other places you can find us. This is what I love about our radio operation. There's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, TuneIn. It goes on and on and on. This show has been produced by two of the best in the business, Robin Gratison and David Ryan. We'll be back on Monday for our first daily podcast. For Rick Klein, I'm Jonathan Carl. Thank you for listening.